Okay, 1 John chapter 5. Tonight we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 15. But before we get started, let me just give a quick recap from our last study. Uh, We looked at how John continued to build upon his two main themes or two main purposes in writing this letter. And that is to reveal the true identity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to reveal those who have a true relationship with him. And he did so in that passage by bringing in God's own testimony, God's own testimony about the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is his son. He is the Messiah, the Christ, our Savior. We learned how the Holy Spirit testified that Jesus is God incarnate. And he testified this at at two key events in Jesus' life. That is his water baptism, and then again at his crucifixion. And that those testimonies formed a threefold testimony. The water, the blood, and the Spirit, and that they are all in perfect harmony, perfect agreement, and that that testimony is a greater, a far greater testimony than any possible human testimony, than any human testimony can possibly be. And then to, I termed it as really sealing the deal of this testimony that God has borne concerning his own son. John describes how how God has given his testimony, his own Holy Spirit, to dwell within us. So all of this is so much more than merely knowledge of God or knowledge of what God has done. For all of us, who know and believe this testimony, God has given us eternal life. Praise God. Now, tonight, I want to begin by kind of reminding us, just spending a moment in reminding us, throughout this letter that we've been studying, John has laid out a lot of doctrine I mean, we've, we've studied all that he's taught about who the Lord Jesus really is and what it means to have a true and actual relationship with him. That's a lot of hardcore, solid doctrine. But we need to stop for a moment and just remember, remind ourselves that the overall purpose in John's heart when he wrote this letter, was not only to communicate doctrinal information, although he does that, and he does a wonderful, outstanding job of doing that. But this letter, this is a letter that came from John's heart. And we talked about it in the very beginning of this, of this series. John has the heart of a pastor, of a true pastor. He has the heart of a shepherd. He has the heart of a loving father. And tonight's passage 
really shows that, really puts that on display. You can hear his love for his readers and his concern for them, concern that they are secure, that they are, and and I, I love using this phrase, that they are rock solid in their relationship with the Lord. In tonight's passage, John communicates to his readers the ever so important, critically important aspect of our walk with the Lord that we know as the assurance of our salvation. That's what we're looking at tonight. So let's read this passage. It's short. It's just three verses. 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Amen. Now, in this first verse, verse 13, John is approaching the end of his letter. And as he does so, he gives these words of assurance. Assurance of his readers and our knowledge and understanding of their position and their relationship with God, with their position before God and their relationship with him. And he does it in this verse by stating with emphasis here who they are, what it is that they have in the Lord and what they believe. And he does this not because he thinks that they don't know or that maybe they have forgotten. No, he does this to assure them, to reassure them. And then he also states a critically important purpose in all that he has taught and shared throughout this letter so that his intended audience, of course, his original readers, but us also, so that we would know that we have eternal life, that we would know that we know that we know. And this is not in any way apart from the twofold purpose of his letter that I have proclaimed throughout this series, that I have tried my best to drill into your minds. And that is to reveal the true identity of the Lord Jesus and to reveal those who have a true relationship with him. We're not talking about two different thoughts here. No, what he's presenting tonight, it serves as the critically important result of truly understanding this twofold purpose. You see, if you understand the true identity of the Lord Jesus, and if you understand, if you know 
what it means to have an actual, a true relationship with him, then you will not only have eternal life, but you will know that you have eternal life. You see, the assurance of our salvation is integrally and inseparably linked to this understanding, to understanding who the Lord Jesus really is and understanding what it means to have a true relationship with him. Now, throughout this letter, John has laid out and developed a a series of spiritual tests, tests that reveal whether or not a person's salvation is genuine, whether it's real or whether it's just a claim. Remember, we've, we've studied many of the passages that he talks about where, where people can and do claim to have a relationship with Jesus, but it's a false claim. There are people that claim it, but don't really have it. He's laid out these tests to help us to know whether it is real or whether it is a false claim. And at this point in the letter, like I said, we're closing in on the very end of this letter. So at this point in the letter, his readers should have come to take these tests very seriously. I mean, John has, as we were talking about last time, John has repeated and reiterated many of these multiple times. So his readers should know them and should be taking them very seriously. They should have at very least at this point begun to use these tests to perform some self-diagnostics, some self-evaluation. But there's a concern. There's a concern that some of his readers and the reality is many of us might be uncertain about their spiritual condition before God, even though they are truly saved. So the purpose of John's tests that he's given all through this letter is to assure and reassure the true believers of their salvation, of the fact that they have eternal life, not to cause further or deeper uncertainty about it. You see, we don't want to live our lives, we don't want to live our lives boldly claiming to have a relationship with Jesus when we really don't, but neither do we want to live in constant uncertainty about it, constantly questioning our relationship with Jesus, constantly questioning the authenticity of our salvation, constantly wondering, am I really saved? So to bring us to a, a spiritually healthy balance in this, John ends his letter not with additional tests, but with a substantive encouragement and assurance of our salvation. And what he does is he builds their assurance 
with a twofold emphasis. And the twofold emphasis is this. Number one, knowing that they have what it is that he's describing. And then the second is knowing what it is that they have, what it is that he's describing. So let's look at these two. He, he, he describes or talks about knowing that they have what he's describing here. And the key word here is knowing. You see, he doesn't want them or us to wonder. He doesn't want us to doubt in any way or to any degree that we have what it is that he's talking about in this verse. He wants us to know it. He wants them to know without a hint or a shadow of doubt. In fact, the the word that he chooses, the original Greek word, literally means to know something with the utmost certainty. So it's not just a vague knowledge, but it's knowing it, really knowing it. He wants us, John wants us, his original readers, but by extension us, he wants us to walk through our life with the utmost confidence in this. And so he gives this assurance. Now let's talk about how he he wants us to know what we have. The key word here is eternal life. This is what he's talking about. This is the assurance. This is what he wants us to be confident in, that we have eternal life. This eternal life, this is the gift of God, the gift from God to all who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's not something that we have achieved Nothing that we have done for ourselves. It's nothing that we have earned in any way. It's only through what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. God has given us this free gift of eternal life. So he's given us not just natural life, because he's given us that also, and praise God for that, but he's given us This very special kind of life. Life that comes only and exclusively from God himself. And this life, this eternal life, it has changed us. It has forever changed us. Permanently changed us. It is unending life. And it began the moment you were born again. That's when eternal life starts, when you experience the new birth. So unending means just that. It never ends. You will never die. Now, we all die from this this physical, temporal life, right? Eternal life doesn't mean that I'm going to live in this body for all of eternity. We will die, each one of us. Our bodies will die. But for those of us who truly believe, our eternal life with God continues, even after our bodies die. This eternal life, this is the life that you will never 
lose. This is the life that will never, that can never be taken away from you. He has given it to you and nothing and no one can take it from you. This eternal life is a special life and it is above and beyond our physical life. As wonderful as this physical life can be, and for many it is, eternal life is far and above and beyond that physical life. This is what eternal life is. And there are two distinct aspects of our eternal life that I want to make sure I touch on, that, that we really we, we can't lose sight of this. These two aspects are this. There's a, a quantitative aspect and a qualitative aspect. Quantitative has to do with the quantity of our life. And yes, that life is unending. We will live forever. But there's also a qualitative aspect. deals with the quality of our lives. And the quality of our life as believers is greater, far greater. I'm even going to say infinitely greater than our natural biological lives. And what we need to understand is that this is true regardless of our circumstances, regardless of any difficulties that the Lord chooses to take us through. Our life in the here and now even is far, far greater, infinitely greater than it would be outside of eternal life. So in this verse, in this one verse, John has established a confidence in our relationship with the Lord, in our good and healthy relationship with the Lord. He has drawn us to the right balance in that confidence. We should be, and again, I know, I just love this Phrase, but we should be rock solid and confident in our relationship with the Lord. Every moment of our lives, but at the same time, never presumptuous of God's grace and mercy in our lives. Now, John goes on in the next two verses, verses 14 and 15, to develop that confidence to an even greater level degree. As in any good and healthy relationship, which is what we have with the Lord, our relationship with the Lord includes communication. All good relationships have communication. We communicate with God. We call that prayer. And that's what John talks about and addresses in verses 14 and 15. Let's read those verses together. He says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests. 
that we have asked of him. Praise God. Well, in these verses, John gives us some information and even some instruction on prayer. But that's not really his primary focus here. His primary focus is on our relationship with God. You see, our prayer, our prayers, our prayer life, and the effectiveness of our prayers serves in our lives as further assurance of our salvation. We need to remember he's coming right off of verse 13 in verses 14 and 15. In verse 13, he said, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. So he's continuing in these verses to build our confidence in our relationship, our true relationship with the Lord Jesus. And see, he he starts here by speaking of our confidence, but he's not speaking of our confidence in our prayers, but in him. That's where our confidence is. You see, when we pray, we want to know that God hears our prayers, right? That he listens to our prayers and that he answers our prayers. John explains the confidence that we have in this. But our confidence is not in our prayers themselves. Our confidence is not in in how we pray. It's not in what words we use or or how many words we use or, or how often we pray or any other technique that we might apply to prayer or prayers or our prayer life. No, our confidence is firmly rooted in he to whom we pray. That's where our confidence is, in the Lord himself. Let's look at what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. I know you're very familiar with this, but let's read this together. Matthew 6, 5 through 13. And this is the Lord Jesus speaking, and he says, And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, Jesus, in this instruction, emphasizes not to place importance on technique. He tells us 
not to place importance on praying in public to be seen and heard by many others, not to place importance on empty phrases or many words, not to place importance on that, but to to place our emphasis, to place our importance on prayer, on who it is we're praying to, our Father in heaven. Our confidence, and this is what John is teaching, our confidence when we pray, our confidence is in him. As true believers, when we pray, we have this confidence because of whom he is. We have this confidence because of what he has done for us. We have this confidence because of our relationship with him, because we are his children. We are his family. John here is linking our confidence, our assurance. He's linking it with our prayers. And he links together three very important I'm sorry. He links together three very important concepts involved in our prayers in these two verses. And those concepts are we ask, God hears, and we have what we have asked of him. We ask, God hears, and we have what we have asked of him. So I want to look a little bit more closely at each of these three concepts. Let's look at this, we ask. Now, when we communicate with God, that is, when we pray, we communicate many things to him, right? We we express our hearts to him. We thank him for what he's done for us and given to us. We thank him for what he's done for those around us and what he's given to them. When we, when we pray for one another, here at, at, at Tree of Life, we do that a lot, right? We pray for one another. Well, we also give thanks to the Lord for answering those prayers. Right? We, we acknowledge who he is, and of course, we ask him for things. We ask him to meet our needs and the needs of others. We ask him for our desires and for the desires of others, right? There's nothing wrong with asking God for our desires. So how do we know that he hears our prayers? How do we know that, we will, that he will answer our prayers? Well, if you want God to hear your prayers... And if you want God to answer your prayers, it's really important to understand how John is linking these three concepts together. These three concepts. We ask, God hears, and we have what we have asked of him. I want to look at that with which he links these three concepts together. It's right there in the verse that we're we're reading. 
What does he link these these concepts together with? He says, according to his will, according to God's will. You see, God's will is the, the hinge pin on which these three concepts are linked. It's what binds them together. Notice John doesn't say, if we ask anything, he says, if we ask anything according to his will. That's the key to prayer. When we pray, always and only pray according to God's will. So the big question then is, how do we know God's will in relationship to the many things for which we pray? Fair question. Well, it all begins with our relationship with his written word. You see, the one and only source for seeking, receiving, knowing, and understanding God's will is his written word. Think about that. The one and only source for seeking, receiving, knowing, and understanding God's will, it's all in his word. That's how we are going to know. So we should always pray according to God's will, which means praying with wisdom and praying with discernment. God's wisdom, not our own wisdom, certainly not the world's wisdom, but God's wisdom. Where do we obtain that? Where do we find and get God's will in his written word? So we must pray with discernment based upon our knowledge and understanding of God's word. We want to always and only pray with the Lord, alongside the Lord, never in opposition to him. It's just simply another way of saying praying according to his will. Now, there is... No detailed paradigm or or pattern or formula that we're given for prayer. But there are a few basic principles to keep in mind. And even this list that that I'm about to give you, this is not exhaustive, just a short list. But keep these things in mind as you pray. Don't pray according to what you know is not God's will. That almost sounds silly to say, right? But, you know, many people do. So one very important thing to keep in mind, don't pray according to what you know is not God's will. Another one is don't pray according to your own will. That doesn't mean that you can't pray for desires or or things that you want or want to do. But remember, we're praying according to God's will. So if it is strictly your will, only your will, your will in opposition to God's will, don't pray according to your own will. And... Last on my list, like I said, this is not, um, this is not an exhaustive list, but 
you know, just some high-level things to keep in mind. Don't pray undiscerningly. We need to discern when we pray. So the bottom line is this. All of our prayers, 100% of our prayers, every single one of them, big, small, and everywhere in between, all of our prayers should be influenced by our understanding of God's will that we've gained by reading, studying, and meditating on God's Word. The more time you spend in God's Word, the more you know God, and the more you know and understand His will. It's really not all that complicated. Don't overcomplicate it. Just pray according to God's will. So, we ask. Now let's look at this concept of God hears. Well, let me, uh, let me throw out a, um, a rhetorical question. Does God hear everything? Yes. Yeah. Okay, but listen to what John says. He says, John says that God hears us if we pray according to his will. There's an implication there. And the implication is that if we don't pray according to his will, that God doesn't hear us. So what's up with that? Well, God certainly hears everything. Everything. He hears our innermost thoughts. He even hears, you know, see if this is, you know, have you, have you ever experienced this? He even hears things that we don't really want him to hear, right? There's certain thoughts that we have that we would just prefer if God wasn't aware of those, right? But he hears it all. He even hears the prayers of unbelievers. He hears the prayers of, of Hindus, of Muslims, of anyone who prays to any God. But see, that kind of hearing, it has to do with, with, with simple awareness of what's being said. The hearing to which John is referring here is, is different. It, it has to do with attentive listening. God hears all prayers, but he pays attention only to the prayers of his beloved children. So John's distinction here has to do with what we would call hearing versus listening, right? So when we ask something of him, of God, according to his will, he listens to us. He hears us with the intention of responding, with the intention of answering our prayers. And he does so every single time, 100% of the time, when we pray according to his will. Now, again, there's an implication here. means that when we ask something of him that is not according to his will, what happens? He hears us, but he has no intention of answering us. He hears us, but he chooses not to respond because of the nature of the prayer. 
So one could say that there are some prayers that he doesn't even listen to. He hears them. He knows that we are speaking them. Okay, it's not like we're behind uh, a soundproof glass and he's saying, hey, I see your lips moving, but I can't hear you. I don't know what you're saying. No, he hears them, but he doesn't listen to them with the intention of answering the prayers. And it's because of the nature of the prayers. Bottom line here, these are prayers that we shouldn't even be praying. That's where our discernment comes in. We should be discerning. We should be growing. As we mature in the Lord, we should be growing in our discernment and know when we shouldn't even be praying something. So if God only listens to prayers prayed according to his will, how do we ensure we are praying according to his will? Fair question, right? Well, once again, it's really not complicated. Let's not overcomplicate it. Here's, Here's the thing. Everything that we ask of God should be with the heart orientation of not my will, but yours be done. Right? That's what I mean. It's, it's not that complicated. Not my will, but yours be done. See, I believe that this is why, or at least part of the reason why, Jesus directs us to begin our prayers with your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's from Matthew 6, verse 10. I believe that he gives us that to remind us and to orient our hearts that every time we pray, every single time, every single prayer, our prayers should always and only be according to his will. If not always in word, always in spirit. And this is what I mean by that. Once again, this is not a formula that, uh, that John is laying out for us. Okay. So we don't necessarily have to utter these words every single time we pray or utter these words with every single prayer. Your will, not mine be done. Okay. But it should always be our heart's intention when we pray. We should be consciously thinking about that, remembering that as we are praying, even if we're not uttering the words. Okay. So we ask, he hears. Now let's look at what John says about we have what we have asked of him. What John's saying here is that we know we have the answer as soon as we make as soon as we pray. Many people have misunderstood and misapplied this concept or this principle. And that misapplication results in frustration and it results sometimes even in anger toward God 
People begin to feel and think things like, God is not giving me what I have asked for. He's breaking his word. It says right there in 1 John 5 that anything I ask, God will give me. I'm asking. He's not giving. He's breaking his word. Or God is not listening to my prayer. I keep praying this over and over and over again, and I'm not getting it. God's not listening to my prayer. He's breaking his word. It says right there in 1 John 5 that he listens to my prayers. Well, this type of misapplication comes by way of not understanding exactly what John is saying here. It, it, it comes by way of, of, of reading and, and, and seeing in these verses what we want to see, not what they actually say. See, here's the thing. John makes a very important presumption in verse 15. And the presumption is that whatever we ask of God is according to his will. See, he's making that presumption and everything he says past that is based on that presumption that we are asking according to God's will. So John links God hearing everything we ask according to his will with us knowing that he hears whatever we ask, that God hears whatever we ask, and with us knowing that we have what we have asked of him. See, all these are linked together. There's a connection there. And they're linked together with Praying according to God's will. I hope you see that connection. You see, these these two verses, and this, this is one of the reasons I wanted to cover them together. These are not two independent thoughts, right? Verses, verses 14 and 15 are, are, are part of the same thought. They're, they're connected. They're together. So knowing he hears our prayers and that we have the requests that we have asked of him presupposes, or in a sense requires, asking according to his will. The implication is, is that we also know that he does not hear our prayers that are not asked according to his will. And therefore, he doesn't answer them if they're not asked according to his will. And that brings us to, John indicates very clearly here that God answers us as soon as we make the request. That might seem strange, but look look at the verse. He says, John says, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. He doesn't say that God will eventually answer our prayers. He says that we have present tense. We ask, God hears, we have. Understanding this principle, understanding exactly what John means here, is key to understanding God's answers to our prayers. Think about it like this. Look at it like this. Our prayers or the answers to our prayers, rather, come from God 
to us, right? The answers to our prayers, they come from God to us. Well, there's a distinction there between God answering our prayers and us receiving his answer. Okay? It's similar. I hope this makes it easier to understand, doesn't further confuse things, but this is similar to when a, a minor, you know, that is someone who is under age, under 18, when a minor inherits an estate from a, from a parent, from a deceased parent, but doesn't take possession of it until he comes of age. You know how that works. Like if a 10-year-old inherits his, his parents' estate when they pass away, he doesn't, he's received the inheritance, but he doesn't take a possession of it until he comes of age, right? Well, he has the inheritance. It's been given to him. Nothing's going to separate him from it. Nothing's going to take it away from him. But there's a delay between the time he's given the inheritance and when he actually receives it. It's given to him when he's 10. He receives it when he comes of age. He knows it's there. He knows that it's his. He just doesn't receive it until the allotted time. And it, I keep saying 18. A will could be written to where maybe he doesn't receive it until he's 20 or 25 to the allotted time. So, in a sense, this is what it's like when God answers our prayers. Sometimes we receive God's answer instantaneously. We pray, God answers immediately. Sometimes we receive that answer instantaneously. I want to give you a, um, an example from church history. You're all familiar with George Mueller? Yes. Okay. Well, he was, at one point in time, he was praying for a meal. He was, was sitting at a dinner table with many of the orphans from his orphanage. And he sat them all down and he was praying for a meal. But there was absolutely no food in the house at all. Nothing. But he had them all sit down and they prayed. They asked God to provide a meal and thanked God for that meal. And before he was able to finish the prayer, there was a knock at the door. And the the person at the door was the driver of a milk truck that had broken down right in front of his house. And the, the, you know, the driver told him, my truck broke down, it's loaded up with milk, this, it's, it's going to end up spoiling by the time I get the truck fixed and, and, and back to where I need to go. The milk is going to spoil, so do you have any use for it? And everyone in the house had milk, had some sustenance, okay? That was an instantaneous receiving of God's answer to that prayer. But sometimes there's a time delay between when God answers the prayer and when we receive the answer. I'm going to give you another example from 
uh, George Mueller's life. So this delay, it can be brief, relatively short delay. It could be a very, very long delay or anywhere in between. I'm going to read a quote from Dr. John MacArthur about uh, George Mueller. So this is a quote from John MacArthur. It says, more than half a century ago, George Mueller, prince of intercessors, began to pray for a group of five friends. Five friends. After five years, one of them came to Jesus. After ten years, two more of them came to Christ. He prayed for 25 years, and the fourth came to Christ. And for the fifth, he prayed until the time of his own death, until George Mueller died. And that fifth friend came to Christ a few months after George Mueller had died. For that fifth friend, he prayed, George Mueller had prayed for 52 years. And then this is John MacArthur's commentary. It's a one-word commentary for this story. Perseverance. Perseverance. So I've given you these examples. In all of these examples, God answered George Mueller's prayers immediately. George Mueller received one of the answers instantaneously. With the others, he, he experienced delays of varying lengths. This is how God answers our prayers. Now, there's, an, there's a couple of other things to consider in relationship to, to God answering our prayers. Um, sometimes, uh, sometimes the answer is just simply not the answer that we want. And a lot of times, believers will interpret this as God not answering. This is something that we need to be aware of and, and, and um, you know, pay attention to in our own prayers and the answers that we are receiving. And then sometimes, as we've already covered, God doesn't answer because the prayer is not according to his will. And, and see, this can actually be a, a, a tool, a useful element of discernment. If you're asking and you're not receiving, now I'm not saying this is, this is true 100% of the time. I'm saying that it's, it's a good tool for discernment. If you're asking and not receiving, maybe what you're asking is not his will. Something to consider. Something for discernment. So, all of our prayers, 100% of them, should be influenced by our understanding of God's will that we've gained by reading, studying, and meditating upon God's word. Like I said before, the more time that we are in God's word, the more we know God. 
the more we know his nature, his character, the more we know his will. It aids us, it, it, it develops us, it grows us in our ability to discern. We should always pray according to God's will, which means praying with wisdom, praying with discernment based upon that knowledge and understanding of God's word. And just in, in, in wrapping things up, before we leave here tonight, I just, I, I, I want you to know, I want you to understand, I, I really want you to see this, that these two verses describe one of the greatest blessings of our salvation, one of the greatest blessings of a true relationship with the Lord Jesus, one of the greatest blessings that God gives to his children. And that is that God listens to our prayers. God pays close attention to our cries and to our requests when we pray to him according to his will. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so very much for the heart of your beloved servant, John. Thank you for that. Thank you for the depth of your love, of the love that you have for each one of us, for each one of your children. I pray that through your grace, that we will, each one of us, will find that perfect balance of confidence in our relationship with you, that we will know that we are truly saved. I pray for our assurance of the salvation that you have so graciously given to us. And I pray for all that, and I pray that we would not be in any way presumptuous of your tender mercies in our lives. Thank you, Father. We love you with all of our hearts. And we do pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.